Thanks for joining me on this Cleveland Baseball Morning. The final from Progressive Field in Cleveland, it's the Cleveland Guardians 4, the Toronto Blue Jays 3. I'm Davey Barris, lifelong Cleveland baseball fan, and I want to talk about the actual game on the field, the thing I enjoy, watching baseball being played. And when you saw Toronto on the schedule for four games in Cleveland in May, I bet you didn't think we were going to take three out of four from the Blue Jays. It sets the Guardians up back at 500 at 14 and 14 with some big series coming up this week against the two teams ahead of them in the American League Central, the Chicago White Sox and the Minnesota Twins. So let's get into the storylines of this Sunday Mother's Day game and what a game it was. I listened to the game. I watched as long as I could. Like everybody else out there, I had Mother's Day plans, had things to do, places to be. We actually took the moms on a hike. It's my wife's first Mother's Day. And uh, we thought, get out, enjoy the weather, enjoy nature. And uh, so, yeah, I had to turn the game off after the Guardians give up the lead in the seventh inning. Um, Well, give up the tied game. I got to get out of the car. I got to go on this hike. And... uh, Halfway through the hike, I'm, I sneak away and check my phone. I go, hey, I wonder if the Guardians came back in this one or uh, did that 3-2 hold up? And sure enough, eighth inning heroics. I had to go back, watch the highlights, get into it, and uh, they did. They pulled it off. They pulled off the comeback. They had a nice eighth inning, a fantastic eighth inning, and uh, come back and put two on the board for the 4-3 win. So that's the big storyline in the game, the comeback, the eighth inning comeback. Um, you know, they were coming back this entire series. Do you realize Toronto scored first in every game this series? And the Guardians had to fight their way back in every game. So this eighth inning, how did it go down? What happened? Well, Owen Miller happened. That's what happened. Now, I dug into this because I wondered, in his short career, how good has Owen Miller been in late innings? Now, if you just look... Like on baseball reference, they have it broken down by innings one through three, then four through six, then seven through nine, obviously cutting the game in thirds. Uh, And his batting average does go down the later you get into the game. 264 hitter in the first innings, 239 in the middle, 229 late. Same thing with the OPS. It goes down slightly the deeper you get into the game. However, that's not the whole story. Turns out the eighth inning is Owen Miller's inning. You don't want him up in the ninth. He's got 208 hitter in the ninth. Uh, he's got a 546 OPS. One RBI in the ninth inning. In the eighth inning, however, it's only a 200 batting average. But but they're all they've all been extra base hits. Three doubles, two home runs now, including yesterday, for a 560 slugging, which gives him an 819 OPS. He has seven RBIs in the eighth inning, the most of any inning. In his short career. So, turns out, you don't want him up in the ninth inning with the game on the line. But if you can get him up in the eighth inning with the game on the line, chances are he's going to deliver some big extra base RBI hit for you. And that's exactly what happens in this game. With one out, here comes uh, Owen Miller up against Tim Meza. And, uh, boy, this is a situation where we talk about it a lot on this show. You show a guy a pitch in the same location multiple times, and chances are he's going to figure it out. And that's what happens here. And this is actually the the lowest slider of the entire bat. 
He throws him a slider in at the thighs for strike one, called strike one. Throws him another slider in the exact same location that he fouls off. Tries to go high, high-low with him a little bit here. Misses with his sinker, two-seam fastball, whatever, up high and in. Misses again up high with it. Okay, now he's going to go back down low. And I'll tell you, another thing we talk about on the show is look where the catcher is setting up. How bad did they miss location from where the catcher is setting up? This is exactly where the catcher was set up. He wanted this slider down and in and at the knees, and that's exactly where Mesa threw it. The only problem is he's thrown it there twice already in this at-bat. Owen Miller's seen it. He swung at it. He's fouled it off already, and he gets the bat head down there, drives at 105.3 miles per hour, 25-degree launch angle, 399 out to left center field for a home run, for a game-tying home run. I know, I, I still don't feel like Owen Miller really uh, belongs in that four spot. In fact, this is interesting. In the first inning of baseball games, he's a 105 hitter. He's got two hits in his career in the first inning of a baseball game. So, yeah, coming up in that first inning might not be the best spot for him. He jumps to a 256 hitter with a 777 OPS in that second inning. My third inning, my God, he's a 379 hitter with a 1.027 OPS. Okay, maybe the third inning is Owen Miller's inning. Uh, so, yeah, so I don't know if, you know, obviously right now they're just giving Vermeil time to get comfortable. And believe me, he is comfortable now. May, my God, Vermeil Reyes. But, yeah, will Owen Miller stick in that cleanup spot for a long time? Probably not. But he does, he keeps the line moving. Uh, hits, sack flies, he's he's getting the job done there. Uh, and he gets the job done with his game-tying home run. And normally that would be enough, right? Man, we tied the game up. You're feeling good about that. Naylor grounds out after that, so now there's two outs. And well, that brings up Fermil Reyes. Fermil Reyes uh, against Adam Simber, former Cleveland Guardian, former, well, former Cleveland baseball player. They were the Indians back then. Uh, throws him two hard sinkers, or... Actually, no, I take it back, not hard sinkers, 85-mile-per-hour sinkers. One on the outside edge for a called strike, then comes back inside, and Vermeil turns on it, shoots a ground ball 108.9 miles per hour, exit velocity in the left field. Vermeil raises exit velocity. First off, he's gotten a hit in the last five of the last six at-bats in this series, and the exit velocities are 108.9, 87.5, uh, 97.7, 100.7, the buzzard, 81.5, and 110.8. That is some serious exit velocity there. Three over 100, four considered hard hit balls. That is a lot of hard hit balls from Fermil Reyes. He does not mess around when he puts the bat on the ball. Uh, so yeah, so five hits in his last six at-bats, including this single. Uh, it brings up Andres Jimenez, who draws a walk. Jimenez? Had a lot of opportunities in this game. He ends up leaving four men on base in this game. He came up twice in RBI situations and once popped up and once, I believe, hit into a double play to end the threat. So it wasn't the greatest offensive day from Andres Jimenez. He was on base twice, but couldn't get the RBIs in this game. Uh, so he walks, which moves from real race into scoring position. And we all know when Fran wheels, right, when he gets to second base, when he needs to run, he can run. Uh, it ain't going to last for long, but when he needs some jets, he can jet. And that's exactly what happens here. Oscar Mercado 
Uh, Simber couldn't locate that slider. Uh, misses with three sliders in his walk to Andres Jimenez. Misses wide. I'm talking way across to the other batter's box with two sliders against Oscar Mercado. Forces him to come with the hard stuff then. And uh, on the fifth pitch of the at-bat, this, I think, was a mislocation. I think the catcher wanted this one up and in. I think they wanted it up at the shoulders, thinking Mercado would swing through it on a 2-2 count. Might have. He might have swung through it on a 2-2 count. But he leaves it middle of the plate, actually a little bit out over the plate, just right of center at the letters. Perfect spot for Mercado to shoot one back up the middle. 102.5 mile per hour exit velocity right in the center field. And for Mio Reyes turns on the Jets and scores. Man, I love when Fran Wheels gets out on the base pass and uh, shows off a little bit for the big guy. So he comes in for the go-ahead run. And then obviously, Class A in that ninth inning is a beast. So that is the big comeback. That was the huge storyline of this game. It's just good hitting. It's good gutsy baseball from the Guardians. It's a good rally. It's a good rally, especially a two-out rally, right? You get the solo home run. Those can pop off at any time, especially the way guys swing these days, right? Solo home runs can pop off at any time. But then to put together that mini two-out rally to get it done, um, to score that final run, even though Andres Jimenez gets thrown out at the base in the in the base path, the run comes across to score. He at least was able to hesitate and delay that long enough for the run to come in to score, and uh, we take the lead in that eighth inning and set things up for our closer. So huge, huge stuff from the Guardians' offense. All right, what else went on in this game? What led up to that moment? Again, we're kind of uh, starting this meal with dessert. Now we got to go back and eat our vegetables. How did we get to this point? Well, Connor Pilkington gets the start. And like every other Cleveland starter in this series, he doesn't start well. Does not start well. In fact, it starts really ugly. He's lucky to get out of this first inning with uh, with only two runs given up. In fact, Matt Chapman, uh, Matt Chapman is the reason the Toronto Blue Jays offense uh, struggles a lot in this game. He strikes out four times in this game, including right here in the middle of the rally that they've got going. Four uh, base runners to lead off the game. Double from Springer off the wall in left field. Bo Bichette would walk. Guerrero singers, singles. Tescar Hernandez singles. Guerrero Jr. hits a ground out. Kirk walks. Chapman strikes out, though. That's key. Puts up a second run with a second out without runners being able to advance. And then uh, Espinal would fly out to end the threat. So it's a good job of Pilkington settling down. And from that point on, after the Kirk walk, he just starts setting guys down. Strikes out two in the second inning plus a ground out. Strikes out two in the third inning plus a Guerrero line out, which frankly is 107.1 miles per hour line out. Uh, 890 expected batting average, but they get him out. Uh, in the fourth inning, a fielding error, so he finally lets someone on base and a walk to Espinal, but he gets force outs. He gets out of it, including another strikeout to Chapman. Um, yeah, so, uh, and then obviously in that fourth inning is when Eli Morgan would come into the game uh, in relief and piggyback off of him. So a good job by Pilkington of really settling down. And I think an interesting thing here, if we go over to the illustrator and we just take a look by inning, and we can see how wild he was to start the game and eventually settling down. So everything is up to start the game. He is attacking the right edge of 
the uh, strike zone from the catcher's view. So for the left-handed pitcher, this would be the arm side of the plate for him. He is attacking there, but he's missing high and wide with his fastball and his changeup a lot. Um, there are plenty of fastballs in the strike zone, and they were able to hit a lot of those. Uh, but he's not working up. He's working up in a way, and that's not something he does later in the game. In the second inning, when he starts racking up those strikeouts, he starts getting things down. He starts getting that changeup down. Starts getting that slider down and in uh, to the right-handed hitters. And you know, sweeping away from the left-handed hitters. So those fastballs start to locate the plate a little bit better. He was actually very efficient. Only 13 pitches, including two strikeouts in that second inning. Um, in fact, let's go to those matchups. Let's take a look. What did he do in that second inning to really set these guys down so fast? Uh, Tapia, he gets him to chase. It was those sliders away. Three of those sliders away were to the lefty Tapia. Uh, so he throws him one that he misses with for a ball, comes back on the outside edge and paints a fastball right on the black, and then gets him to foul tip a slider out and away and gets him to swing through a slider out and away. So he, he showed him that slider out there, and for some reason he lays off it for ball one, but can't for three and for, uh, for pitch three and for pitch four, uh, and strikes him out out there. Then he gets George Springer up, the righty, and this time it's fastball changeup combos. So uh, gets him to swing it stuff away. I'm surprised here. Uh, you know, Springer doesn't get one pitch in the strike zone, and he goes down on four pitches. So the ultra-aggressive uh, Toronto Blue Jays kind of hurt themselves in this inning. I mean, in two batters here and four strikeouts, he only throws one pitch in the strike zone and sets him away on eight pitches. So he swings at a fastball up and away, uh, swings at a changeup down below the knees. That one was on the plate, but below the knees. Uh, lays off a changeup way away, comes back with a changeup up and away again, and swings through it for a strike. So, uh, yeah, the Toronto Blue Jays being way too aggressive here. Uh, and then Bo Bichette works with a lot of stuff down below the knees here in his final at-bat. He'd eventually ground out to Jose Ramirez on a changeup down middle of the play, but down below the knees that he bangs into the ground uh, for that out. So that's what he was doing in the second inning. Let's go back to the illustrator here in that third inning. This time he's really attacking the outside edge. Fastballs, changeups, that sinker. Uh, no sliders in this one. He faces all righties. So he yeah, apparently he saves that slider for lefties because uh, he's attacking changeup fastball and two seamers on that arm side of the plate for him and just pounding it and uh, racks up two more strikeouts in that inning. And then in the fourth inning, before Eli Morgan would come in, it's a lot of fastballs. Just attacking, attacking with fastballs. Keeps the changeups to the arm side of the plate. Throws the sliders across to the glove side of the plate. So that's what Pilkington was bringing in this game. It's a short start for him. Uh, I think Francona said it was going to be. He's not fully stretched out because he had pitched in relief a little bit at the start of the season. He was in the bullpen as an extra arm. Um, so he wasn't fully stretched out. So he only goes 83 pitches in this one. And then Eli Morgan would come in and piggyback off of that. Going over to the player breakdown page, what was working for Pilkington? What would the numbers show? The fastball, the four-seam fastball. I told you he was attacking a lot right on that arm side of the plate with it. And he, on 18 swings, he gets seven whiffs, 11 called strikes with that fastball. It's good for a 44% CSW on that fastball. That's pretty elite stuff. And to add on to that, on those 18 swings, they foul it off nine times. They only put two of his fastballs 
in play. Only two on 18 swings. That's pretty elite stuff from that fastball. Uh, it averaged 91.6 mile per hour in velocity, but he did get it up there on occasion. He hit, he maxed out at 94.5 on his fastball. And going back to the scouting report, um, you know, I had to dive back. He wasn't in the Guardians' top 30 prospects, but when he was with the White Sox before we traded uh, Cesar Hernandez for him, he was number 20 prospect in their system, and. This is what the scouting report had on him. They had that fastball at a 45 grade on that 20 to 80 grading scale. They had the curveball at a 50, which I don't think he threw. Uh, they had a slider at a 50 and his changeup at a 55. He did throw the changeup second most. They had his control overall at a 50 and uh, his overall grade only a 40 for the left-hander. Now, Pilkington's an interesting story because in college, he makes it in the Mississippi State rotation. This is all from that scouting report on MLB.com. He becomes their number one starter as a sophomore. He pitches in the Cape Cod League, Team USA he pitches with. So he's really a star. He's looking like he's going to be a first-round pick, and then his velocity dips. They say his stuff regressed, but basically he loses his velocity. It was a fastball uh, that would hit 96 miles per hour early in his career, and suddenly he was throwing an 87 to 91 miles per hour, topping out at 93. So, I mean, we kind of see it yesterday a little bit better. Tops out at 94 uh, plus but he was averaging around 91. Uh, so they talk about his arm angle, his three-quarters arm slot, provides a downhill plane. Yeah, he did free some guys at the knees with that fastball. Um, so yeah, so that's kind of the scouting report they had on him. They said unless his velocity can get up, he becomes a third-round pick, basically, because they're worried about where'd that velocity go uh, for a guy who was looking like he was going to be a star first-round pick. So... That's the guy we got in the trade uh, with the White Sox. And you know what? Frankly, it was it was a pretty good start for a guy who struggled really bad in his first inning. It looked really ugly in his first inning. And then Eli Morgan comes in and piggybacks off of him. By the way, Pilkington had a total 31% CSW on the day on all his pitches. Eli Morgan comes in after him and frankly does decent work out of the bullpen. Uh, his box score on the day, three and a third innings pitch, only gives up one hit, one earned run, no walks, and three strikeouts from Eli Morgan. He would give up the go-ahead run in that seventh inning. He would give off, give up that lead-off double. I believe it was to uh, Espinal. It was to Espinal. The lead-off double only hits at 74.4. Miles per hour. That's right. It was the bloop down the right field line uh, that had to be run down. Um, so, yeah. So, he bloops one in there. Um, and he eventually comes in around to score. A fly out to right moves him up to third base. And then Springer with a sack fly to center. That's that diving catch by Miles Straw. It's a hell of a catch. But you can't really come up and throw after that. Uh, so, they bring the guy in on a sack fly. And, uh, and then Bobichet strikes out to end the seventh inning. But the Guardians are in a hole. Eli Morgan, that's the only hit he gives up. Eli Morgan, this is the third time this season where he's pitched more than three innings in relief. He really is proving to be an effective long reliever out of the bullpen. And this is what a piggyback situation is supposed to look like. Three and two-thirds from that starter. Handles his business after giving up those two early runs. He's able to hold things down so the Guardians can come back and tie the game. And then we bring in the guy, a new look out of the bullpen, 
And uh, Eli Morgan runs through three innings himself, giving up one hit. That's pretty darn good stuff from Eli Morgan as a piggyback long reliever in this game. You know, usually the long reliever is coming in a situation where it's like 7 to nothing, 7 to 1. It's been a blowout. The starter, you know, blew through 90 pitches in three innings. And that's why you're coming into the game. Not in today's baseball. In today's baseball, you're a long reliever. You are expected to hold things down and to be just as good as that starter. And Eli Morgan is proving like he can handle that kind of role. I know he wants to start. I'm sure he wants to be a full-time starter. But for now, this is the role, you know, until until something, you know, things start going nuts at the trade deadline and we start, you know, using one of our starters as ammunition to make a trade, then Eli Morgan might be able to see an opportunity to start uh, full-time for the squad. But right now, the starting rotation is kind of full. So this is a role Eli Morgan can excel in. Uh, and you got to take advantage of those situations sometimes. Any chance to pitch in the major leagues, you're going to take advantage of. All right, so uh, what else in this game uh, do we want to talk about? Um, well, let's talk about the other opportunities that the Guardians had to score. So the second inning was rough. The second inning was very frustrating. They can't get the job done. Josh Naylor ropes a single, 95.9 miles per hour. And then Fermil Reyes comes up. And shoots one into right field. Shoots, you know, usually you go opposite field. You lose a little exit velocity. 100.7 mile per hour exit velocity into that right field corner. They hold Naylor at third base. They figure, look, we got second and third. Nobody out. I know we're down to nothing at this point. But look, this is a great chance to score. What could go wrong? Well, Andres Jimenez would pop out. Um in the second inning there, so the runners can't advance. I told you, Jimenez had a lot of opportunities with guys on base and couldn't deliver the RBI hit on this day, although I still believe in Andres Jimenez. He played some good defense for us. Oscar Mercado gets hit by the pitch, which I think is interesting because Mercado would get the opportunity at the end of the game, the opportunity that was stolen from him here. He had it. He who knows? Maybe he gets the RBI hit in this situation and brings in Naylor and Fermil Reyes to score. But unfortunately, he's hit by the pitch, and we'll never know what would have happened in that bat. Austin Hedges strikes out terribly. A fastball that was basically in his armpit that he can't help himself from swinging at. And then Miles Straw would be ground out, would force out with the bases loaded to end that threat. So we load the bases in the second inning after being down 2 nothing, It's our chance to make our comeback, and we can't get it done. Luckily, Pilkington strikes out two more in the third, holds it down in the third. And then Stephen Kwan kicks things off with a double, a bloop double. Uh, man, just a Sunday morning bloop double down the right field line uh, that drops in no man's land. And the hustle there, that's why the hustle... In Sunday morning softball, anybody can pop a ball up and end up legging out a double. And that's exactly what this looked like here uh, from Stephen Kwan going into second. And you know what? I wonder how much of this is rubbed off from Jose Ramirez because Ramirez, the guy hitting right behind him, is the kind of guy that's going to take an extra base on you. He is. He's going to be hustling out of the batter's box. And if he has a chance, he's going to take that extra base. And he does it with a triple. Uh, only hits at 83 mile per hour exit velocity, so he doesn't crush it, but he puts it in the right spot, brings in Quan to score, and Ramirez legs out a triple. Big stuff there. Owen Miller in that cleanup spot is able to deliver the RBI, hits a sack fly out there, brings in Jose Ramirez to score, and we have tied the game. Uh, Naylor and Ramirez would get on again in front of Jimenez. Naylor's hit by the pitch. Reyes would single at 97.7 miles per hour. Jimenez would hit it hard, 100.8. 
But unfortunately, it's a ground into a double play to end that threat. Again, Jimenez would have his moments later in the game. So that's how the Guardians tie up this game. It's a fun rally in that third inning. You felt like, you know, we've talked about this again on the show. We've talked about this before where the Guardians have wasted opportunities. They look like they're going to have these big rallies and then suddenly it slips through their fingers. Usually that happens in a loss. Not often do we get a chance at redemption in the next inning and now we're able to put two runs across to score and tie the game up. So big stuff from the Guardians offense. They are relentless. They are relentless. They keep giving themselves opportunities, and they keep coming back. And uh, like I said, Toronto was up every game. They scored first in every game of the series, and the Guardians take three out of four. So those were my big storylines of the game. I mean, it's a fantastic series for the Cleveland Guardians, a fantastic win, especially when you're going with some you know young guys with a rookie starter, um, when you're piggybacking in the bullpen. And by the way, you're going against Alex Manoa, who's one of the best star young starters in baseball. I mean, he's been a star for the Toronto Blue Jays. He goes five innings, gives up five hits, only those two earned runs, a walk and three strikeouts, but they make him work 95 pitches to get through five innings. They've really made him work. Uh, hard hit him six times in this game. So yeah, Manoa is a really, really good starter. And the Guardians hitters were not messing around. They were trying to put rallies together. They were hitting them hard. And uh, they get them out of there in five innings. And they get into the bullpen. And they're able to do damage. And once again, the Guardians bullpen shows up. And the Blue Jays bullpen cannot get it done in those late innings. That's a huge difference. You got to have the pitching. You got to have the bullpen. Shaw Shaw pitches the eighth inning. Uh you know, at that point, we're down a run, so technically uh, not a high leverage situation, but you want to keep the game close. Shaw delivers five pitches to get through uh, that eighth inning. Of course, he gets hard hit twice, but hey, he makes outs on five cutters. He gets uh, he gets out of that inning, and then Class A delivers in the ninth inning, uh, including a strikeout. Um, so yeah, big stuff from the Guardians on this day. I really enjoyed this series. This was a fun series against two two really competitive American League baseball teams. It was fun to play, you know, someone from the AL East and really go toe-to-toe with them. A team that'll probably find itself into the playoffs. Will the Guardians be there to join them? Hey, it's been an interesting start to the season. We've talked about this before. Sometimes April can be really cold, and sometimes May, this team can get really, really hot. So we will see if we can keep it going now. we got to go out to Chicago and then Minnesota, so we are definitely getting into the heart of our AL Central schedule here. Uh, We're going to be facing tonight. We're going to be facing Kopech, and it's going to be Plesak on the mound for us. Plesak really needs a... Man, he really needs just a solid start, a solid win uh, under his belt right now. Um, Kopech, you obviously remember a lot from relief last year. That's a Chicago thing. They love bringing up their young guys in relief and then eventually working them into the starting rotation. So in five starts this year, he still hasn't had a decision. He's 0-0, but with a 1.17 ERA. Now, the White Sox have got things rolling as well. So have the Minnesota Twins. I mean, frankly, all three of these teams are kind of rolling right now. But the White Sox are on a six-game winning streak. So just like the Guardians went on that long losing streak, the White Sox were on a ridiculously long losing streak of their own. Now they're on a six-game winning streak. We're on a two-game win streak. 
Uh, Minnesota's on a three-game win streak at the top of the division. So three very hot teams right now that are going to battle it out this week. So let's see if we can end that White Sox win streak. Let's see if we can jump up into second place in the standings. And uh, let's win another series. Let's go win another series. So it's uh, two night starts, and then you get some day baseball, some late afternoon baseball on Wednesday. All right, that is all my thoughts on this one. A really fun win from the Cleveland Guardians. Hey, I haven't talked about it in a while, but if you want show merch, if you enjoy this show, uh, we actually have a place where you can get T-shirts, hoodies, stuff for men, women, kids. It's clevelandbaseballmornings.myspreadshop.com. The link's there in the show notes. Uh, I've got a new T-shirt out there that I designed for the morning people right? The term for people that listen to the show, I've dubbed you the morning people. And if you want to, I'm a morning person t-shirt, check out clevelandbaseballmornings.myspreadshop.com. You can get it for a fan of the show, or you can just get it ironically for someone who's not a morning person. Um, Show off your pride for Cleveland baseball and help spread the show's name with some high quality shirts and gear. It is, it's a really comfy t-shirt. I got to tell you, the link is in the show notes and it's still my pinned tweet on Twitter at Davey Barris. So if you want to check out a Cleveland Baseball Mornings t-shirt, if you like that sort of thing, collecting t-shirts from, you know, podcasts and different things, um, go ahead and check that out. All right. Again, the final from Cleveland yesterday. It's the Guardians floor for the Blue Jays three. We'll be back tomorrow to talk about Kopech against Plesak against the Chicago White Sox. You can follow me on Twitter at Davey Barris. You can email the show at clevelandbaseballmornings at gmail.com. Let me know your thoughts on the game, and we'll discuss them on the show. Also, I'm hosting this podcast on Anchor, so if you go to anchor.fm forward slash Cleveland Baseball Mornings, you can leave a voicemail for the show. We'll play them back on the air, respond to your thoughts, and we'll have a fun conversation amongst the fans about baseball. So thanks again for joining me on this Cleveland Baseball Morning.